The Weekend Variety Wireless with Dock Edge Festival. New Zealand's premier documentary film festival. with Jared Hindmarsh. This week, some tales of when New Zealand was... Okay, I'll start that again. Outsiders with Jared Hindmarsh. This week, New Zealand riots. And we've had some famous ones. Not a lot, but uh, they've... In the 1930s and going right through to um, 1984 and the Queen Street riots and concentrating on some of our more famous ones. Jared, hello. The Depression riots of 1932, they certainly caused a stir. It's not the only time, of course, we've had riots in New Zealand. The ugliest one was actually the Battle of Manor Street in 1943, and that was entirely censored by the government, and few people seem to recall it now. And, of course, our latest one really was the Queen Street riot of December 1984. But riots are a sort of snapshot of the nation. They don't operate, though, in isolation isolation, do they? They have quite a big lead up. You just can't isolate out these events of civil unrest and you certainly can't attribute them to a whole lot of troublemakers or looters or hoodlums. It's far more complex than that, although obviously that plays a part. But one visiting American reporter in 1932, he he came out to write about the riots in Queen Street and he said it was difficult to estimate how close New Zealand came to open rebellion at this time. But as he put it, one thing is patently clear, the tenseness of the situation was foremost in the minds of government officials. There's something to do with riots. Uh, It's so hard to put a finger on, but it's you've almost always got an underlying simmering discontent. And it's a lot of it's not to single issue, maybe I think uh, it's when a whole lot of discontent sort of intercept and then the simmering just turns to a boil. Generally, people are really cooperative and nice, but it's got that underneath simmering away. In these sort of times, it doesn't take much to see a riot happen and get out of hand. No, not at all. And, you know, in in, uh, Queen Street, we saw hundreds of people injured. You know, the police were hemmed in and looters ran through Queen Street. They smashed shop windows and raided jewellery and and other stores and sailors with fixed bayonets were marched through town and hundreds of people were taken to the hostels. More windows smashing the following day in Kay Road. They mounted specials, charged the crowds. I mean, what a thing. But let's just go back a bit, Graham, to 1920 there had been an alarming increase in the numbers of unemployed in New Zealand and it sort of followed the freefall drop in export prices for meat mainly. That was a sort of catalyst for the um, Prime Minister, that was Joseph Ward at the time, to a sort of, he appointed a committee on unemployment and that was in October 1928 and its job was to investigate every aspect of the unemployment problem that was starting to rear its head. 
said in, in a nasty way too and when the under 25 age group was examined for instance it was found contrary to what everyone expected that those who had a higher education they didn't have any superior ability to find a job it was actually to the contrary it wasn't just the sort of tradespeople or the labourers that weren't finding job it was right across the board and the incidence of unemployment was found to be much higher amongst those born in New Zealand than those who had recently immigrated. I suppose immigrants have a lot of drive in them. And the committee also observed that the rise in status of women, in particular sort of the entry into occupations that were held exclusively before by men, that contributed to the growing employment problem also. Oh, except for women. It was quite handy for the women's employment. <laughs> oh, of course, definitely, yeah. yeah. You know, all these recommendations that resulted in the Unemployment Act of 1930 and the creation of the Unemployment Board, and this was going to solve all the problems, of course, but public work camps, they were sort of the obvious answer, but they required such heavy borrowing to set up and manage, and some camps needed substantial infrastructure, everything from schools, sometimes even churches and stuff, and so they came up with other schemes and one of them I did a little bit of research into was the gold mining prospecting subsidy scheme and this was started in 1930 and interestingly enough after the riots a lot of these men were actually sent out into the wilderness to work and you know it was equivalent to our sending people to Siberia Graham for the merest thing you know I was into the sort of traditional mining districts of the South Island that was Northwest Nelson, Buller and in Nangahua and central Otago and Southland that most of the men got sent. These guys had all been born in towns and, and cities. They had no previous experience and the Wellington and Christchurch rioters, they were mainly sent to northwest Nelson and the west coast. Without exception, these town and city dwellers had no idea how to survive in the wilderness. They had a supervisor that would come round, but really it effectively silenced a vast majority. It was a clear ploy and it's sort of, sort of never been really connected. They didn't just quell the riot, they got rid of the men as well with severe sentences but also stuck on these work schemes. Yeah, um, these work schemes are also thought of as being productive for the uh, for the nation as well in a time of great hardship. Well, that's true, although there was one miner from um, Reefton, a sort of mining inspector, and he said, is the government doing a relief scheme or is it actually doing something for the nation? He said, I have to say it's a relief scheme because all the schemes I go around, they're just patently not productive. Right. Roughly, it was about £600 spent for about a 400 return on gold, but it uh, encouraged this huge black market in gold buying, of course, because they had to give 10% of the gold they found back to the unemployment board in return for the subsidy of 21 shillings a week for males, it was. But it all came out of these amazing riots and it didn't start in Auckland. The first one actually started in Dunedin on um, Saturday the 9th of January in 1932 and there were a procession of unemployed. Many of them women actually marched to the offices of the Otago Hospital Board in Dunedin to demand relief. Interesting 
interestingly, the only place that there wasn't really riots was Christchurch, and that's because people were getting food parcels flat out. And this was thanks to the city fathers who saw it coming. Ah. Yeah. Riots in Wellington, Auckland and Dunedin, but Christchurch uh, just avoided them because of this, and it just showed you people were actually hungry. Yeah, people were starving, or if they carried on uh, with that sort of calorie intake, they were starving. Like in this, Dunedin marched onto the um, hospital board. The board's officials refused any assistance flat out, and the enraged crowd, they rushed down to Wardle Brothers' grocery store, and that's where they were met by a cordon of police because they were ready then to loot, you know, and the store windows were smashed, but the police stood their ground, and the situation remained very tense, and large crowds sort of milled through the streets, and fights started breaking out, but the excitement subdued after a special distribution of 800 food parcels for the weekend. Then an emergency relief depot was opened after the riot, but on 9th of April there was a whole new unemployed disorders in Dunedin and following a refusal of assistance again by the hospital board. So it set the tone in a way for the most serious riot of that year, 1932, took place in Auckland on the 14th of April, and it was after the Auckland postal employees they'd called a march on the town hall because the government had announced a 10% reduction in their wages. It was quite a preposterous thing for these people who were virtually starving. They were going to get a 10% cut in their weekly wage. Now, for the unemployed, there was no social welfare backstop at this stage? No, nothing. All there possibly was was you could go on some sort of work scheme or you could get a food parcel in the in the severest instance, but that was it. These people turned up. They were ready to go. The cry went out, shall we fight? And the men were sort of marching in procession up Queen Street. And they had heard of the riots that had happened previously in Dunedin? Yes, of course, in the paper, yeah. And there, there was a mood of the nation was ugly, you know, and there was a sort of hoarse chorus of, yes, yes, we will fight. Stones were thrown through the windows of several shops as they went, but no arrests could be made, of course, because the police couldn't tell who was throwing the stones from these crowds, and the, the police were pitifully underrepresented for this crowd. It was in such an ugly mood. And a little later, about 7.30 in the evening, that was um, Thursday the 14th of April, the Post and Telegraph Union men, they were inside the town hall. They'd gotten inside, and there were a number of unemployed men also had gained entry as well, and hundreds of others started storming in. There was a whole sort of pandemonium broke out. The police were on hand, but that only comprised six mounted constables and 12 men on foot. Pitiful sort of police contingent. They tried to restore order, but they were soon on the receiving end of fence palings and a hail of stones, and it was sort of riot in its worst form. We'd never had anything like it in New Zealand and it had broken out. Well, we know the, the simmering discontent uh, that was there. This is more than simmering in the unemployment that was happening during the Depression. There was a terrible dissatisfaction with the government. Everyone felt that the government had let them down, the United Kingdom, that Britain had let them down. Everyone was letting them down. The country had sort of started on such great ideals and now everything had turned sour. It really was dissatisfaction on a wide, wide level.
Okay, we'll take a break, and when we return, we'll go into some of the details of the Auckland riots on Thursday the 14th of April, 1932. Quite significant, and spilled over to the following day as well. And we'll also look at some other famous incidents of rioting in New Zealand. The Weekend Variety Wireless with Dock Edge Festival. Get a free program at dockedge.nz. Outsiders with Jared Hindmarsh. The unemployment riots, 1932, April 14th. That's in Auckland. There'd already been a riot in Dunedin. I think Wellington was going to get its share as well. But the largest population centre had the biggest riots over a couple of days. Fueled, I think, by the unemployment of the time, uh, the depression was at its height. It's broken out outside the town hall in Auckland. Very little police presence and now windows are starting to be smashed. Take it from there. Police laid into them now. They knew what they were up against and they rode around the crowd and there was very many hand-to-hand encounters and they were just battening people as they went and one stone crashed through the window of a shop opposite the town hall and someone had yelled out, the brutes are firing on us. So everyone went mad and the reinforcements of constables, they were called in on the scene. The uh, mounted police, they rode their horses very skillfully, sort of rearing them up against the crowd and forcing them back from the centre of the street and back onto the footpath. Do we know the numbers of people involved in this riot? Oh, look, it could have been anywhere between four and 5,000. Mm. And more and more people joined it as the evening went on. It sort of broke away. They blamed a whole lot of young hoodlums who broke away from the crowd and they ran down Queen Street hurling stones through shop windows as they went and the mob followed and destruction was let loose on Queen Street and their boots and and even knees were um, used to smash the windows and there were a lot of injuries actually from glass cuts and and men and women put their hands through the openings of the glass of course they took took usually (laughs) relatively select items, watches, necklaces, gold and diamond rings, silk stockings, neckties, cigarettes, cigars, pipes, cigarette lighters, these are all listed in the past paper, shoes and bottles of liquor. Their pockets were bulging with a stolen property and they were kind of like drunk on the destruction of it all, you know. And access to stuff that they otherwise wouldn't be able to dream of. Yeah. And the window of a jeweller's shop was broken by four girls and they took the advice of a man to help themselves. And then another one said, what about this one? Should we give it a go? And a, and a youth was heard to say and one guy said, oh, not that one. Only cheap jack stuff there. We'll go for something bigger. And outside of Boots store the men were trying on shoes taking taken from the window like trying them on on the footpath before they'd run off with them you know tobacconists of course their the men were just filling sugar bags full of tobacco and and pipes and things and many in the crowd were um, not actually active rioters so they were taking just taking advantage of the situation yes of course just like happened in london recently that few years back too they uh, similar sort of situation but once the theaters came out there were thousands more people on the street and the, and the looting was at its height and most people were just watching without sort of helping or moving a finger. You couldn't blame them, of course, because the mood was ugly. Well, Jared, imagine the surprise of people who've been in to watch a movie, walked out, it's 1932, April. Oh, hello, this is not the Queen Street I knew. Suddenly it's all different. 
And, of course, the police were still busily engaged, being penned up by the town hall, still quelling those disturbances. So the people that were making off down the street, they had a relatively free hand for a few hours. But the services of the Navy, they were finally called on by the police and all the available men on a, on a HMS Fulhamer, which was in port, were um, immediately mobilised and they divided into small parties and they started to patrol the street and several hand-to-hand encounters took place. But the naval men were actually armed with um, iron-mounted batons and they used them very effectively against the crowd. I mean, there was no pussing around here. So this is actually the military being involved. Yeah, the police were totally at a loss. So they called in uh, as much as they could, of course. An appeal was made to all law-abiding, able-bodied men to help restore order. And this was broadcast on uh, 1YA on behalf of the mayor, who was Hutchinson at the time. And he said, I feel it my duty to appeal to every decent citizen of Auckland to stand by those in authority and upholding the law and thus preventing a reoccurrence of the disgraceful riot that has taken place in the city this evening. The trouble is still proceeding and I appeal to all law-abiding physically fit men to report at once, armed with batons, to the police station in O'Rourke Street to help the police to stop the destruction of public and private property and restore order. City traffic inspectors are ordered on duty at the town hall immediately. Now, there was an immediate response to this because people started turning out with batons or, you know, makeshift batons. It was an extraordinary thing. They almost sort of called on this vigilante crowd. They weren't sworn in or anything, but they were allowed to go out in parties by themselves, but they did have to wear an armband. Oh. Yeah, The government also rushed in from Hobsonville, a party of 14 Air Force men in um, uniform, and they were carrying loaded rifles, and they appeared at Queen Street just before midnight, but order had sort of been roughly restored at that time, and most of the looters had slunk away, and uh, there'd been quite a few arrests by the police and volunteer constables, and most of the charges were disorderly behaviour and theft, and there were certainly uh, heaps of casualties, many of them unconscious, they were taken to Auckland Hospital suffering from injuries and most seriously hurt were a detective and two constables who were suffering from head injuries and concussions and for virtually the entire night the entire hospital staff were occupied in dressing wounds and extra nurses were required to cope with a steady stream of cases that were flowing in and people just came in in a very dazed condition and they're suffering mainly head injuries inflicted by baton blows but a a lot of them had had wrists and fingers cut on plate glass, of course. They appealed for attention, and as soon as they got some from an ambulance officer, they'd just disappear. Right, right. Yeah. yeah. Did people think that this could have been an organised political revolt because the political tensions because the economic situation, we're polarised between left and right. Of course, people will always say, you know, is this a a mounting disturbance? And interesting, the Prime Minister, old Forbes, he he got up in the House of Representatives and he said he regretted very much there'd been an occurrence of the sort in the country celebrated for its law and order, that these misguided men must realise that law and order must be maintained. But the opposition MPs, they immediately got onto this and they claimed, you know, this is a 
direct result of the government's policy and the people of Auckland will not tolerate starvation. A member for Auckland Central said that. Well, the mayor seemed to be reasonable in this. He didn't read out the riot act, literally, did he? No. The whole situation developed so suddenly, this is what he said, that there had been no time to do anything but handle it. He said, in any case, the reading of the riot act would have been the last resort. Mm. And too late, of course. Far yeah. too late. Yeah. When people are in an ugly mood, the last thing they want to hear is the riot act, of course. Yeah, yeah of course. All right, yeah. so, yeah, the political angle is being exploited, if you like, from various people in government, uh, both left and right. But what happens after the riot? That's It's not just continuing, it's, it's abated, and you've got all this mess down Queen Street. Yeah, there was a huge amount of tidying up. There were groups of carpenters everywhere boarding up shops and people sweeping up the mess. And following day, it was a sort of relatively quiet day in the city, but the spirit of the riot and sort of lawlessness, if you like it, continued. And it broke out with a renewed violence in Kay Road in the evening. And more than a 1,000 special constables were now drawn from the city and suburbs. There was still a lot of tension in the air. And this wasn't the end for Auckland. Auckland riots, to begin with. New Zealand riots, all in all, with Jared Hindmarsh. More when we return. The Weekend Variety Wireless with Dock Edge Festival. For details, visit dockedge.nz. Okay, Queen Street had its big riot, 1932. 100 casualties, nobody killed, but uh, no fun. And a lot of people knocked out and damaged and cut and batoned. This wasn't the end of it. K Road the following day on the Friday. Yeah, and anyone who was out to a riot, they were up against the law this time because there were 2,000 special constables drawn in that day and there were two squadrons of mounted men from the Waikato. They'd responded to the Mayor's appeal and uh, they just arrived and appeared in the streets in the evening. There were 200 men from the Royal Naval Volunteer Reserve. They'd come in too. Uh, men belonging to all those bodies, they reinforced the police in Kay Road. Now, now 45 men and youths, um, they'd been arrested in connection with the previous night's disturbance. They were all charged in the police court with acts of violence and looting and imprisonment and fines were imposed and a lot of them were remanded actually in custody because of course they would go out again and, and commit more riotous behaviour. Now the mayor, he announced on the Friday night if there was any repetition of the disorder of the previous night, he would immediately read the Riot Act and this would serve to make all assembly and crowds unlawful and render those refusing to disperse liable to imprisonment for life. Now, it's, it's a serious thing to read out, isn't it? It is, and the penalties are huge. Now, for three hours, a dense crowd at Packed K Road and there was very ugly and vocal demonstrations and stones were thrown and more windows got broken and there were several minor clashes. They had a series of deterrents charges by the police and they were aided by the naval men and the special constables and they cleared the street when the mob was about to go off in its most dangerous mood actually and so there was no opportunity for looting anywhere. Now, about 30 people received hospital treatment as a result of those Friday night incidents in K Road. There were 35 more people arrested mostly on charges of inciting and causing mischief and that weekend passed relatively quiet 
quietly in Auckland, actually, and there'd been another large gathering in the Domain on the Sunday afternoon, but the people there, they soon responded to an appeal to go home. The Prime Minister, Forbes, he issued a statement saying that full authority will be placed behind the forces of law and order. So the government was on top of it now, and they very quickly passed what they called the Public Safety Conservation Bill. It was um, introduced and accorded urgency just a few days later. It basically gave the government power to preserve law and order in cases of emergency, such as civil strife. It was basically tailor-made exactly for these riots. And and their opinion differed on whether the rioting in Auckland was premeditated or not, of course. Right. Did it have a political background? Yeah. And there was a lot of blame put on government policy and the, the government always said our public works department was uh, going flat out, giving people jobs, and etc., and things like this. But, you know, as I said, there'd been a, a disturbance in Dunedin a few days before the Auckland riot, and then as Auckland started to quieten down, a riot occurred in Wellington on the 10th of May, and it followed a relief workers' strike demonstration at Parliament Building. How it started was there was a crowd of 3,500 waiting outside while a deputation saw Prime Minister Coates. Now, when the deputation returned and it was announced that a policy statement by the Minister would be published the following morning, the strikers were asked to meet at the Basin Reserve at 10 o'clock in the morning to discuss their position in the light of this response by the Prime Minister. Now, the crowd immediately roared its disapproval of the delay because they wanted an answer right then. And there was a clamour for direct action and the leaders managed to calm the majority, but the ugly crowd, they caught the police off guard in the gathering darkness and a party of about what they could describe as 40 hoodlums, they swept down Lampton Quay and into Willis Street and they started overturning cars and smashing windows just everywhere they ran. Now, the police had special constables, of course, they had them ready and the situation sort of was under to control fairly quickly, but not before 160 shop windows were smashed, and a lot of those shops got looted in the presence of absolutely amazed Wellingtonians. 23 demonstrators were arrested that night. The Prime Minister said at midnight on the radio that he would make no statement concerning the requests of relief work or new rates of pay and conditions until all work had been resumed. So he wasn't prepared to negotiate at all. Anyway, the next day there was a mass meeting on a vacant section in Upper Cuba Street. It was a bit like a flash mob, Graham. They'd just appear. Now, there was a ban on outdoor gatherings by the stage. Of course, they were in defiance of that. There was an ugly clash with the police the following afternoon. Within a few minutes, a threatening crowd of 2,000 was sort of routed and scattered, really. Mounted and foot constables gave them a lightning baton charge and uh, sent them packing, really. So the police were uh, coming in pretty heavy now about this. They didn't want any more riots in the country descending into chaos. 
A lot of people were treated by the ambulance and at the hospital, but only one man received severe enough injuries to be detained in hospital, broke his leg going over a fence, so definitely wasn't as ugly as the Auckland riots. There was a rumour going around that a child had been killed, but it actually wasn't true. The police inspector, Jay Lander, he was in charge of the police. He'd just issue instructions, get into them. The police would just charge right into the thick of the crowd and they'd just be laying into them with deadly strokes of their batons. It'd be pretty heavy duty. Mm. And there was uh, frenzied screams and and, uh, a lot of women were involved too and they were screaming their heads off as well. Horses mounting up. Oh, my goodness. It was a pretty major event, actually. There were many accounts, Graham, of of that sort of Battle of Wellington. There were horses crashing through fences and people getting pushed back and people screaming. It certainly made uh, great accounts in the paper, blow-by-blow accounts. And special constables, they were all recruited. And so everything was against these rioters now. And and in Wellington, it seems as though, look, we've learnt before, let's just go hard at these civilians. Yes, definitely. And in 24 hours, basically, they had quelled the Wellington Rebellion, basically. But Um, it was a symptom of the uh, political unrest, which I suppose eventually had its outcome in the first Labour government. Yes, that's right. You know, there was a lot of people who did think that all these riots were planned and the police, they said that information possessed by them definitely showed that the lawless outbreaks had been planned. The opposition believed the great majority of the unemployed had no idea that outdoor meetings were prohibited and they weren't actually allowed to be there. And that gathering went to Cuba Street in complete ignorance of any ban. Peter Fraser said that he was an MP, opposition MP at the time. They put in um, very harsh prison sentence and they ranged from um, four, 15 months down to one month and fines were imposed in the police court in Wellington on a number of charges arising out of those outbreaks in the city and there were, I think there were 15 men stood trial in the Supreme Court in Auckland and six of them received the maximum sentence of two years imprisonment for taking part in a riot. Seven received shorter terms of imprisonment and two were acquitted. The judge at the time, he praised the conduct of the police, of course. He said their courage in the face of an overwhelming force deserves the highest praise. Two sides to that story, huh? Oh, certainly is. Well, what do you do, though, if people just start looting? Although it's such a tricky thing, the level of reaction can be just the touch paper to set something up, the level of reaction by the authorities, that is. Yeah, and it can not only necessarily be a social issue as such a a poverty issue, it can sometimes be something else because one of the worst, ugliest uh, riots we've had in New Zealand was called the Battle of Manor Street in Wellington. That was in 1943 and uh, sort of passed into Wellington legend, but it took place on the evening of Saturday the 3rd of April in 1943 and it began at the Allied Services Club in Manor Street, where the old Manor Street post offices now. And then it was alleged that servicemen from the southern United States refused to let some Maori servicemen drink in the club. Now, when the Americans removed their army service belts to emphasise their point of view, the New Zealand servicemen joined in and the battle spread out into the streets. Now, the Americans 
American servicemen were joined by American military police who arrived to restore order and they took sides and used their batons against the New Zealanders. Now, this fighting spread into the um, A&A Club in Willis Street and where belts and knives were bought out and, and also out onto Cuba Street itself. And it's been estimated that were over 1,000 American and New Zealand troops were involved in this fight as well as several hundreds of civilians who started to join in. And the battle lasted for four hours before it was restored by the civil police. And many um, New Zealand soldiers were injured during the riot, and at least two were killed. So what was the spark for that happening? That two southern United States servicemen refused to allow two Maori servicemen drinking at the pub. So the southern Americans are working at the pub? Yes, yeah, the Allied Services Club in, in Manor Street. So it was basically a military club. And are these southern guys white or black? Oh, they were white. And they objected to two Maori servicemen coming in to drink there. So when the New Zealanders put up a, a pitch against this, they removed their belts and started hitting people with them. And it all went from there? Yeah. There must be some underlying discontent for it to spread like that because that sounds like it may have well just been a small fight that would have settled itself outside the premises of said offence. You know, two American soldiers, at least two were killed and quite a few injured, but, you know, in no case has the result of any of the ensuing inquiries ever been published because wartime censorship was in place and no reference to the riots ever appeared at the time in any local newspapers. Wow. And this one caused death. Yes, there were two American servicemen killed and quite a few seriously injured. Oh, they were hooked into, especially by the Maori Battalion uh, representatives, they weren't going to have Far it. Far out. Because there were a terrific number of Americans here during yeah. the war, of course, and I, I think uh, a lot of it was uh, quite good-natured, but, uh, you know, a lot of them were getting fairly sick of them being here too. It felt like an occupation to them. <laughs> yeah, well, in retrospect, if you want to find out what it felt like to be occupied, uh, you can ask the islands where the Japanese came through. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Okay. yeah, exactly. All right, we'll come back with um, what riot stories we can fit for the last segment. The Weekend Variety Wireless with Dock Edge Festival. New Zealand's premier documentary film festival. Outside is the Gerard Hindmarsh this week, New Zealand riots. And we move from the 1940s, that suppressed riot uh, in Wellington, saw the death of American servicemen during World War II, posted here. Let's rip through another 40 years or so to 1984 and to put it in context immediately really after the Springbok tour and I think this had a huge was a huge factor in why the Queen Street riot uh, developed the way it did. Jared, It all came out of the Thank God It's Over concert on the 7th of December 1984 at Auckland's Aotea Centre. This concert had been promoted as a sort of summer celebration of the end of the academic year and it was a free event. Well, I was, was around Auckland this time and exactly seven days before that concert in the Aotea Square, a friend of mine was working on the sound desk for an, another one of these concerts. It, it was happening exactly the same spot. The mayor at the time, Dame Kath Tizard, I think she was suffering slight Merlot poisoning. Um, <laughs> she decided, this is brilliant. I'm going to get on stage and address the crowd because this is what she wanted to see happen in Auckland 
But the riot hadn't happened in Auckland, but there is this undercurrent uh, in the audio. Have a listen. And as a special surprise to introduce our harangi, our mayor, Kath Tizard. Hi. I'm a real intruder here. I'm coming back. Shut up, you lot. Shut up. <laughs> say something because I was simply coming back through the square tonight to go back to to go home but this is what we want to happen in the square Molotov cocktails, Tran. Did you say yes? I'll kill you if you do. Hey, hang on a minute. Hang on. I'm dead serious. Let's have silence for a minute. We have a problem in Auckland City. A lot of people, a lot of people think that what goes on in Aotea Square is not good. We know that what can happen here is really good, is really fun, is constructive. But what we need is all you people who are here tonight to come back here through the summer to make... Hang on a minute. Listen to me. Just... Just stop a moment and listen to me. I ask you to listen to me seriously for a moment because you know and I know that Auckland Central is a great place to have fun. But we all, we all need, we all need to be part of making sure Ordinary, decent people can come here safely and have fun here. Okay, let's make sure that every time something happens here, we're all part of it. Come here, let's all make it safe and fun So there you go, seven days before the Auckland riots. <laughs> yeah, amazing performance. <laughs> that day on the 7th of December 1984, there were going to be three performances by top local bands. Herbs, there was DD Smash and then the Mockers. Shortly after DD Smash took the stage, the power went off. While waiting for the power to be restored, some of the 10,000 strong audience started throwing bottles at the police. There were a few arrests and more police arrived. This time they were outfitted in riot gear. And I was there, Jared. 
I was actually there. Cool. And the, the police arrived at the side. It was like a, a flanking movement. The stage, if you're pointing straight ahead, then you look to your rights where the police arrived. And I was like, what are you doing there? It, was, it, it really seemed like an overreaction from the get-go, from my perspective. Oh, it would have been, and particularly with the uh, Springboks tour fresh in their minds, yeah. it, uh, you know, those images of the police in riot gear would have just been too much. Dave Dobbin, who was Dee Smash's lead singer, he allegedly then um, told the crowd, I wish those riot squad guys would stop wanking and put their little battens away. Yep. He did. So that just got everyone off, of course, and the concert's promoters, they announced that the concert was being stopped at the request of the police. Parts of the audience immediately rioted. Did you see all this, Graham? Yeah. It was really strange. It was like little things would erupt at various points. I saw someone grab a rubbish bin and smash it through a window. There was a huge cheer when someone managed to throw some sort of small solid object, smash into, you know, it looked like the second story of a of an office building. And this was in different areas to where the police were, and it was like, uh-oh, here we go. Well, the accounts have them different groups pouring down Queen Street. They're smashing shop windows and even upturned cars, but the damage cause that day was in excess of one million it was put at. Mm. There were plenty of smashed windows going down Queen Street, but one maybe amusing anecdote, we were desperately trying to get off the street because it was bloody dangerous. You could see nastiness happen left, right and centre and you didn't want to be part of it. We're trying to get into the Hari Krishnas. Uh, we knew that they had a nice upstairs and we thought, well, they'll be nice and let us in and we're banging on the window looking with <laughs> sort of scared faces. No way. The Hari Krishnas were behind saying, no way, daddy oh, you ain't coming in here. So we thought, oh, shit, we're stuck. Duck. We're going to get done. It was really hard to get off the street. You'd get easily smashed into a corner, couldn't you? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, uh, walking down the street, it seemed as though a lot had abated, but I just saw someone walk up to somebody else randomly and smash them in the face. Wow. It wasn't a rhyme or reason. It was just this aggression that was expressing itself. It was nutty. And the government, I think, did order a commission of inquiry to investigate actually what had happened that day. And I think Dobbin was actually charged with inciting the riot initially, wasn't he? But he was eventually cleared of all charges, of course. Really makes you realise, Graham. you know, we are sort of on the edge sometimes. We often think of our little nation as quite a peaceful little place and people go through all the right channels to protest, but when the time's not right, we can just let loose. Simmering discontent about whatever, it doesn't all have to be about the same thing. If you've got several simmering discontents, they can all have an intersection set. And with the, the riots, the 1984 Queen Street riot, it was, you couldn't put a finger on it really, but a big part of it was the Springbok tour memory. There they were, the images. It was like running into Daleks again. Yeah. And you're going, oh, no. Come on. And there was a healthy anti-authoritarian feeling in the air. And I think we're a bit better off these days, or maybe I've just gotten old. Yeah, well, maybe we have, but I... I still wonder if there'll be another one sometime, Graham. Of course there will. Yeah. <laughs> Jared, thank you very much. I appreciate it, and we'll talk again soon. Thank you, Graham.
thank you so much, everybody, for listening to the Weekend Variety Wireless this weekend. If you didn't know, there's a Saturday edition as well, 8 till midnight. And if you didn't know, there's a Facebook page as well where you can have your say during the week. I answer questions when I get to them. Um, usually, you know, I don't take too long. Uh, and you can ask Max Cryer a question or any of our experts' things as well. Um, most of the audio will be up for re-listening from the webpage uh, either later tonight or Monday. And the podcasts, if you're listening on a podcast, thank you very much for downloading it. And if you're listening live, you're going, what do you mean? They're not working at the moment. Yep, that's why I'm mentioning it. We are still on to it and... I will keep you updated on the Facebook Watch em or call it. All righty. Uh, new sport and weather coming up. It's almost midnight. Stay warm. It's going to be a very cold night, uh, especially in the southern parts of the South Island. But that's what it's supposed to be at this time of year. I would love to be in Alexandra tonight. I think negative four in the morning, something along those lines. Negative six expected for Invercargill. Perfect. <laughs>